0: our Savior, our Lord, and our life.
1: Hi again, friends. Thanks for joining us, and welcome back to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. This is John Russell, your host, with my dear friend, Pastor Frank Friedman. How are you doing today, my friend? It's a beautiful day in South Louisiana, John. How are you? Well, it's a little chilly here in Tucson. I think it's maybe only about 65, so a little bit of nippy weather for us. Well, friends, if you've just joined us, you've caught us in the middle of our current series, uh, The One Another's. Frank's and my take on what life in the body of Christ should really look like. In other words, what kingdom living looks like on earth. And we've been talking about showing humility to one another, preferring one another, greeting one another. Last time, we got a little more deep into the trenches with be kind to one another. That was a uh, Uh, That one took us, Frank, to a lot of different thoughts. But these today are going to be equally challenging. We're going to begin with submit yourselves to one another. Oh boy, ouch. And that comes from Ephesians chapter 5, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. So, Frank, I know you're much more holier than I, but I tell you, man, this word submission and the ideas it brings into my head are so radically opposite to what the flesh wants for us. Mm. And they are radically uh, divisive words in the church today. They're powerful words. Uh, submission. Tell us briefly a Biblical definition of submission before we begin this
0: conversation. Well, uh, you know, John, I think it's probably such a difficult issue for people for two main reasons. Uh, One is we all know that we have the flesh and indwelling sin. And the flesh is always about itself. It's a self-orientation. Secondly, We live in a culture in the United States of America that prides itself on self. (laughs) Um, We were formed in rebellion. You know, England's not going to tell us what to do. Um, We are, we, we have songs, for example, I did it my way. Uh, Today, it's uh, pick up yourself by the bootstraps, Uh, do it yourself, my truth. And then what's happened, you mentioned in the church as well, uh, it's infiltrated with the idea, even with the new covenant, John, where it's my identity, my righteousness in Christ, Christ in me. And I fear that we are still making this all about ourselves with some New Testament language. And one of the things we forget, for example, is in Colossians 1, when it says Christ in you, the Greek there is plural. It's Christ in you all. And we forget that we're a body. 1 Corinthians 12, and a body has to have cooperation with its other organs or it will die. So there's no such thing ever in the body of Christ as an independent spirit where we will do it myself. And so we have this incredible word, submit to one another. And the Greek word is tasso. And what it means is to place yourself under another. And I think it's spelled out in Philippians two, where it says this, do nothing with selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, there's that issue mind, regard others as more important than yourself, then some balance, Do not look on your own needs, but also on the interests of others. So he's not saying just sacrifice all the time and give away everything you have. No, you have your own needs and you need to take care of them, but not to the extent that you forget about the needs of others. And then in verse five, he uses our Lord Jesus Christ as an example. He was God. One who deserves to be served, but he chose, like he said in Matthew 20, he didn't come to be served, but to serve. And he laid down his life to serve others. And then Paul says, this is the attitude that we're supposed to have, the mindset that we know who we are, but we are the servants of others. That's huge, and that's going to involve sometimes setting aside your needs so that you can meet the needs of others. This, again, just like being kind, is radical. It's interesting that you redefined, or I shouldn't
1: say that, defined from a biblical perspective uh, the word submit. You know, to come beneath someone, to lift them up higher than yourselves, that is That's so different from what the world uh, considers when it considers the word submit. Usually they consider it in a context of authority, you know, Mm. domination, enforced obedience. That is not the concept here. In the world and in many relationships, the goal is to control others, to manipulate and influence. But my mind goes back, Frank, to the Garden of Eden where originally There was no rebellion. There was no need for authority. There was no need for control. There was only the community sharing, the equal sharing of life Mm. and joy and peace together with one stepping aside and giving way to the other. You know, coming underneath to lift up someone else's knees above those of your own. This is such a different definition. From what the world defines as submission, isn't it?
0: Yes, John. That's a great point. And it's based on the fact, the glory, that we come to another person already full. That's the glory. You know, in the Garden of Eden, they lived from God. And so if you look at Second Corinthians. it says that we're earthen vessels that's who we are we're like a clay pot a cup and a cup is designed for two things one to be filled and then to pour out and that's the way we were designed in the Garden of Eden so God poured his life into Adam and then as he did that Adam poured that life out to Eve God poured Eve his life into Eve, and then as she was filled to overflowing, she poured out onto Adam. So they were able to submit to the other from a position of fullness, and it's the exact same way for us in the new covenant. The life of Jesus fills us full. We are filled with the spirit. We have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and our little cups are full, and so we can submit to others and pour out unto them and, and exalt them without having to be exalted and, and be kind to them without having to have them be kind back to us. And this again, John, is radical. I say radical because it's something the world cannot do, but we can because we're able to do so from a position of fullness, from the experience of the fullness of God living in and through us. And that's just, it's supernatural. And the world will notice it. Indeed. Supernatural is a
1: good word, Frank. As you're talking, my mind goes to Jesus. And a few verses flash into my head. You know, John 6, uh, Jesus said, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will. Now, he was God. He had every right to come down and to do his own will but he came down to do the will of him who sent me. Hmm. Hebrews 5, he was a son, but he learned obedience from the things he suffered. Philippians 2, we we know this passage, we we quote it all the time. He emptied himself. And as the creator and sustainer God, he voluntarily took the form of a bondservant. So Frank, Hmm. these verses talk of our savior who in your words, definitely had a full cup. And so from that fullness and that intimate relationship with his father, he was able to step out and do for us what we needed him to do, what we couldn't do for ourselves. Uh, But it came because of a full relationship that he had with his father. And I can't help think, my friend, that were we to... completely understand the fullness of our intimacy with God, that we would walk a very radically different life.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. We wouldn't be so consumed with meeting our needs, our way, our desires, our will. Uh, We would be able to lay those things down a lot easier uh, by knowing and that he is our father and knowing that as father, he has promised to provide all our needs. You know, John, as I was listening to you, and I've heard you teach on this before, uh, we use the word Abba, which is, you know, Papa in the Aramaic, uh, to talk about our being uh, children in the kingdom, that he's our Abba. And that we're born again, he is now our Abba and not just Adonai or, uh, you know, El- Elian or any of that, but he's Papa. But you have used that word in a very different circumstance when you talk about Jesus going to the cross. Uh, he did not want to go to the cross, let's be honest. He said, Father, is there any other way? This doesn't sound good to me at all. But then he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours. And the pronoun that the name used throughout that passage was that he is my father. So I can trust him and submit to him, even when it doesn't look good, feel good, uh, doesn't look like it's going to be a good outcome. Because I know him. And more importantly, he knows me and has proven himself to me over time so I can submit to him. That's huge. Yeah, indeed it is. And the power to do
1: that, my friend, uh, comes when you take this verse from Ephesians 5.20 and you read it in the context of the surrounding verses. I know we're always talking about the importance of context in verses, but the idea of submission goes hand in hand. In Ephesians 5, 18 through 21, with speaking life to one another, singing songs, being thankful. All of these things are products of the spirit in our lives. Submission is not something we can choose to do on our own. It is a work of God. It's a product
0: of God's Holy Spirit working in our lives. Oh, John, you know, (laughs) (laughs) as I listen to you, I, I just have these thoughts. I've said this for many, many years. I will keep saying it until Father takes me home. Unfortunately, most of us look at the imperative verbs. We talked about this last time. The New Testament is filled with imperative verbs and mistakenly think this is something we do. Now, again, it is a choice of the will, a choice of the will to walk in faith but the christian life is not conformity to a code the christian life is supernatural it is the life of christ in us through us as we walk colossians 2:6 the same way we received him which is by grace through faith and he fulfills those promise those commands Because he's promised to live the only kind of life he knows how to live. And I would probably take us to Romans 8, 3, and 4, where we fulfill, listen, this is mind-boggling, John, we fulfill the righteousness of the law as Christians, but not by following the law, but by walking in the Spirit. So this is huge. People will look at us and go, boy, you're religious. You follow the Ten Commandments. And we have to be able to say to them, no, 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 no. What you see is the life of God in me. What I'm living is supernatural. And probably the greatest manifestation of a supernatural life is this thing of submission. uh, To lay down our own lives in order to serve somebody else our own needs, our own desires. That's, again, radical because it's not from planet Earth. It's supernatural. Indeed it is. Frank, as I've lived
1: these many years, I've noticed that you can spot believers who are walking with an attitude of submission mm. because spirit and dwell people who understand submission, they will honor support, and they will yield to each other. And get this one, some of us are not going to want to hear this, but spirit and people who have attitudes of submission, honor, support, and yield to those in authority as well. Even governments that do things we don't approve of. You know, Jesus was very clear. Render unto Caesar, uh, first Peter, honor the emperor. And so the idea of submission goes beyond just, yes, God, I'll do what you want. And it goes beyond just uh, deferring to the wishes and interests of someone else. It goes even to the point of how we interface with the governmental authorities that Father has placed
0: in our world. Mm. You know, John, it's especially difficult and therefore, again, a radical demonstration that Christianity is a supernatural thing, not a conformity to a code. When we have to submit to someone we don't like, someone we disagree with, uh, someone who's calling us to do something that we don't necessarily feel called to do, that will magnify our supernatural life, even more so. And, you know, when I was very young, uh, there was a church I was involved in and these elders were calling me to do something, which I totally did not agree with. In fact, I believe it wasn't just disagreement. I believe they were wrong. So I wrote a letter to the senior pastor and it described what was going on. And the next thing I know, I was called into the office of these same elders. And they said, we got your elder, your letter that you wrote. And I said, oh, okay. And uh, they proceeded to stand their ground. And I was really frustrated because I had made what I thought were very clear points biblically. So I called the senior pastor, made an appointment, went in to see him. And I said, help me understand this. I mean, did you even read the letter? And he said, well, briefly. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, we found over the years that it's very easy for people to write letters. But when they're face to face with the person they're having trouble with, their story changes. And I was so taken (laughs) back. I said, wait a minute, man. This is me. And what I say in a letter, I will say to your face. So we proceeded to have a conversation, went through the letter. And this is really amazing, John. He looked at me and he said, wow, you're right. And so I was proven right. I submitted to those guys anyway and did what they wanted me to do. But I don't wanna toot my horn because what I also did was leave the church. Uh, I followed their quote unquote counsel to me in terms of what my direction of life should be in this certain circumstance. But I left the church. Um, Had I to do it again today I, I would have stayed in the church because I think what I was doing in my flesh was saying, all right, I'll do what you ask, but I'm making a statement.
1: <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, sounds, I know
0: exactly what you mean. <laughs> and so though I submitted uh, externally, I don't think it was a true submission of the heart. Um, so it, it's interesting. It's probably one of the most difficult things we will do in life is submit to somebody when we know that they're wrong. Yeah. And uh, that's hard. Do You know, Frank, this idea of submission
1: doesn't just appear in this verse right here. Uh, When (laughs) the whole rest of Ephesians five and six wives honor, prefer your husbands, husbands, honor and prefer your wives. Children, honor and prefer your parents. Fathers, honors and prefer your children. Slaves, honor and prefer your masters. And masters, honor and prefer your slaves. Frank, when we operate with this mindset, it impacts every area of our lives. And we find ourselves doing things that are the most redemptive and constructive and honoring we can for someone. We're, we're loving them when we mm-hmm. submit to them. Uh, it's one of the hardest things we'll ever do, but one of, it impresses me, Frank, when I read all these thoughts in the rest of Ephesians is that the roles in the world tend to disappear. When submission is on the table, the roles that people have tend to disappear and everyone becomes equal because we're all trying to submit ourselves to each other and
0: lift each other up as more important than we are. Oh, John, I, I can't stress, in fact, that we need to stress how important that statement you just made is. The church historically has unfortunately emphasized the role and the call upon the role. And so they say, husband, love your wife. And they but mainly it's wife, submit to your husband. And they emphasize the role without the heart and the life of Christ in and through the people playing the roles. So here's what I'm, I'm trying to say. Um I believe that when people look at Janet's and my marriage, and if you ask them to say, talk about Ephesians 5, they would say in that context, boy, Janet submits to him. And I think they would say, you know, Frank loves her. But if you took Ephesians 5 out of that and just said, hey, Tell me about Frank and Janet. I think they would say they love and honor each other. The They would not talk about, boy, Janet is submitting to him and he's loving her. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I'm affirming what you're saying. Uh, I think the roles, though they are there, disappear when people realize those roles flow out of Ephesians 5, 18 through 20, and that this is a mutual submission because it's what the life of Christ does. The wife seeks out the best interests of her husband. while well, at the same time, the husband is seeking out the best interests of the wife and what people see should be the love, not so necessarily the role. Yeah. As you're talking, Frank, this word picture popped
1: into my mind. Uh, These relationships, all fueled by submission, are like a giant dance. And if I can use this phrase, it's like a giant square dance where everybody interacts the same way. Everybody interacts with each other and there's kindness and support and the entire team flows as one, one song, so to speak. It mm. just meshed together seamlessly with no conflict, uh, no one commanding everyone doing their part, and the
0: entire result is just a symphony of life. Mm. And it's a, a beautiful picture, isn't it? it's a it's a dance it, it, it's it not is. it's not a role that we are enforcing, it just flows naturally when there is a life that longs to love and serve. And you know, it's fascinating. That's why I think those two one another's you introduced are together because submission really is about serving the needs of others. Uh, That's what Jesus himself said. Uh, He came not to serve, to be served, but to serve. And that's the life that's in us. And so we do likewise. Perfect segue, my friend. Uh, The one another that goes hand
1: in hand with submission comes from Galatians 5. Through love, serve one another. So these are tied intimately together. And uh, I'll throw this out as we begin, my friend. Uh, Serve means just to yield in obedience, to be a slave and that's not an enslaved person. I'm talking about a willingness, an mm. other-centered mind focus to be a servant. Mm. Uh, it's just, it's it's this one too is supernatural. It's a willing submission. It's a joyful submission. One that uh, we're, we're thankful to enter
0: into a position so that we can serve someone. Yes. And, you know, it's interesting, John, how the Holy Spirit put that phrase together. He said, through love, serve one another. There's a service in the world that functions, one, uh, authoritatively, uh, controlling, where you have the one in authority who threatens the person that if they don't serve... They're going to be in trouble. So that is not what we're talking about. There's another service where the person doing the serving is doing it with selfish motives uh, to be noticed, uh, to be exalted, to be rewarded. And that, again, is going to fall short. It's not what we're talking about. The Holy Spirit said through love, and that Greek word through is dia, and it's means. It's the means. So the means of our servanthood is not conformity, not fear, uh, not for reward, uh, not out of envy, uh, not out of manipulation. It's got one purpose in mind. The means behind my service is simply to love you. Again, John, supernatural, radical, and the world can see the difference. They really can.
1: I find it very interesting, my friend, that this passage, Galatians 5, about loving and serving is right in Galatians. You know, the book that's dedicated to our freedom from law, freedom from performance, for for acceptance from God and from others. And so it just seems almost almost out of place in the midst of this treatise about freedom that Paul will suddenly say, well, Father will say through Paul, oh yeah, by the way, serve one another. Uh, You know as well as I that many will read the book of Galatians and say, well, I'm free. I don't have to do anything. I can do whatever I want to. I'm free to do X, But they fail to understand that they're not only freed from law, they're freed to become who Jesus died to make them. Mm -hmm. Freed to be the daughter or the son, the princess and prince of the king, whom father has always wanted. And this includes every right, every privilege, and every responsibility. And among those responsibilities is service. So Mm. it gets us back to, you know, the imperative. You know, this is who you are. You're a princess. You're a prince. And so that's what we do.
0: We Mm. serve. Boy, you hit on something, John, that I have been on a soapbox for years. (laughs) Maybe (laughs) that's where I heard (laughs) it. For years, because we have a whole movement of grace now in the body of Christ. It's a huge wave. But what I'm hearing is free from. I'm free from the law. I'm free from the church. I'm free from other people. I'm free from having to I'm free from, and we're forgetting that it's free to. Those are, those are magic words, free to God, to finally function the way God designed you to, free to other people. Uh, you know, it's interesting, you mentioned this, this is in the book of Galatians. Uh, as you know, Galatians is six chapters of warning. Don't go back under the law. Don't go back under the law. In all of those six chapters, don't be back under bondage. You've been set free. But there's one verse of balance. Be careful. Don't use your freedom to serve your flesh. So, John, here's what I get out of that. Since there are six chapters of don't go back under the law. The greatest danger for most Christians is returning to law, to performance, to trying to gain merit with God. But to those people who understand the new covenant and the grace of God, their greatest danger is that they will use the economy of grace to serve themselves. One verse to warn for those who are not struggling with going back to the law. I find that huge. Yes. Because
1: we have, you know, all of us are tempted uh, to fall back under the old attitude of controlling things around me so I can have things the way I like them and the way in my mind they should be. Okay.
0: Okay. Yep, I One, think that, that sorry, self that being selfish, yep, and forgetting that uh, freely you have received, freely give. That's right. Uh, we, listen, listen to you talk, Frank. My mind goes back
1: to Colossians 1. You know, God, Father reached in and rescued us, He stuck His arm in and pulled us out from the kingdom of darkness. And He didn't just make us homeless and set us free, which is sort of what you're describing, people who think they're totally free to do whatever they want. He took us out of that domain of darkness and he placed us into the kingdom of his beloved son. So we're not homeless. We have a home. We have a role. We're citizens. And as citizens, we have rights and privileges and responsibilities. And Father wants us to understand how he has equipped us to live. Uh, To me, it's as simple as that. We're part of a kingdom. We're kind of a piece in a big puzzle. Each one of us intersects with those around us in a
0: way that contributes to the whole. Mm. You know, as I'm listening to you, John, I had a a passage of scripture pop in my brain I'd like you to talk about. Um, We talked about this last time. We have, and boy, this is a bad buzzword in the grace community, but we have responsibility on us, the responsibility to be who we are, to live as who we are. John 17, Jesus prayed to the Father, I don't want you to take them out of the world. We're here because we have a job to do, which is to manifest this life of Christ. And in the terms of submission, I think there's a book in the New Testament that perhaps Though it's not a teaching book, it's certainly an applicational book in a mighty, mighty way in terms of how this submission is lived out. And that is the book of Philemon. Uh, Two people in very different roles, yet both called to submit to each other. Uh, Maybe you could address that a little bit. Yeah.
1: No, Philemon... We don't know much about him except what we learn uh, in that book. He had every right to treat his slave Onesimus as he felt like treating him. The laws of the land allowed him to do that. But because he had shared such life and read through the book of Philemon, Paul begins his letter by describing or recounting, reminding Philemon of all the great things they've seen together, the miracles God has done. He's reminding Philemon of the fruit in his life that Father has borne in him. And then he says, oh yeah, by the way, because of who you are and all you've seen Father do and all you've seen him do in your life, I want you to take that same mindset and apply it to your interactions with your runaway slave. Uh, Treat him as you would any other confused, lost, desperate person. Submit yourself, put his needs above yours, and help steer him back to the king. Because, you know, Philemon, I've spent time with him, and I think he's worthy of your investment. He will listen now. Uh, And so I look at this book, Frank, as a perfect example of someone who has every right under Roman law to have his slave killed, Mm. but yet he chooses to invest in him. Well, Paul encourages him to invest in him instead so Mm. that the spark of life that's now in Onesimus can be brought to a full flame. And so Philemon's rights are placed aside and he steps and lifts steps in and lifts his brother up higher mm. than himself yes so that Onesimus's needs are now premier in mm. the mindset of his
0: owner yeah so there's submission by one in authority yeah. let's talk about Onesimus now who was one <laughs> under authority oh, my because goodness, he yeah. submits too
1: oh that's <laughs> right he certainly does and uh first thing he I found it cool that he came to be in contact with Paul. He sought out Paul. There's something in Paul that he really, really admired, and so Paul basically turns his eyes first to God, and says, "Okay, you're going to submit to God." But now there's an earthly manifestation of submission too, Onesimus. You've got to go back, and you've got to submit yourself to the person in authority over you. And you've got to be willing to accept whatever he has for you. You've got to trust God in that relationship and let him work through Philemon to accomplish in your life what father wants to accomplish. Because son, you chose this. Hmm. Uh, And now I want you to choose to go back and trust your father in the midst of what could be a nightmare, Or, what could be the most blessed thing you've ever experienced in your life? Trust your father and submit to this person. He's placed in authority because by doing so, you're
0: submitting to God. Wow. You know, John, I I just want to tie this together because most people look at that little book. First of all, they mispronounce it, they they call it filet mignon, you know, or something like that. But um, this is a testimony. Uh, this is drama, this is real life, this is the application of what we've been trying to teach today. You've got the guy in authority who's sitting here thinking, I'm going to kill Anesimus when he comes back. I have to have authority over the rest of the slaves. If I'm weak on him, others will think they can do it too. And he's just exhorted, no Philemon, be who you are, be a forgiver. Be a restorer, be kind, Uh, submit to this man, honor him, work with him. He's young. And and so he does it. But then, Onesimus, Paul says, Go submit yourself to him. Onesimus has got to be thinking, Are you crazy? He's scared to death. (laughs) I'm free. I'm finally free. You mean go back and be under that guy? Paul, if I go back, he could kill me. And so it took. Faith. It was it's supernatural on the part of both of these men to act contrary to the way the world would operate and instead live expressing the life of God in them through them in two diametrically opposed roles. Unbelievable. All right. Uh, but this is what we're called to
1: do. This is what we're called to do. And this is a perfect example, Frank, of how submission erases roles in the kingdom. Yeah, like we talked about earlier. Just like we talked about earlier. Submission erases roles. And I keep going back to the picture of our Savior. Jesus came to serve. Mm -hmm. Not to be, even though he deserved to be served, he came to serve. And this is the guy whose life is now in us.
0: Yeah. You know, John, I'm a, I'm a, when I look at the scripture many times, I try to put myself there. Uh, Like how would I have responded if I was Philemon, how would I have responded if I was an estimates, but I also put myself, try to put myself there in terms of a fly on a wall and just become a spectator. And as I reflect on these two, in light of what you just said, the roles disappear what I I have to wonder and what I believe is that as the people around in that household and in that community watched Philemon and the way he treated Onesimus, and as they watched Onesimus and how he honored and submitted to Philemon, I've got to believe that the community and the household looking at these two men did not say, let me emphasize that, did not say, my, what a good ruler Philemon is, good master, or wow, what a good servant Onesimus is. I-, I can't believe that. What I choose to believe is that that household and that community looked at those two men in those two different roles and said, wow, they really love each other. Yeah. That's what I think happened. So why would I run? A,
1: why would I want to run away? <laughs> mm. I've already got the best there is. Wow, great thoughts, my friend. You know who would have thought that two simple little phrases, like serve one another and submit to one another, would have such deep roots in every area of our lives. My goodness, friends, you've been listening to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Thanks for joining us today. We trust that our little conversation has, has just blessed you and encouraged you. Uh, as we've been talking about uh, our take on life in the body of Christ, uh, the series we're calling The One and Others. So please, if you like what you heard, check out our website, ourresolutehope.com. We've got some stuff there, including some, some new books, some new animations that we think you'll enjoy. Uh, check out all of our social media platforms as well. And as always, we close with this reminder From uh, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19, the reminder that we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. Uh, Peter calls it a living hope. Frank and I, well, we call it a resolute, a steadfast, an immovable hope. And this is not a thing. It's not an attitude. It's not a philosophy. It's not a religion. Our hope is a person. Our hope is only a person. Our hope is Jesus. So today and always, choose that hope. Choose Jesus.